Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Check out the new sporty and spacious Renault Arcana in petrol and full hybrid. Guaranteed delivery, low AP or finance and 48-hour test drive. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. You're very welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Hope you had a nice weekend. I had a most enjoyable weekend, I have to say. I'll tell you more about that a little bit later on. Not so enjoyable if you were flying out of the country over the weekend. My God, a thousand people missed their flights yesterday. Isn't that just shocking? And the queues at the airport. Unbelievable. Um... What's going on? What's the solution? What should you do to make sure you get up, up and away? We're going to be talking about it in a wee while with Sandra Finnegan from Globe Travel. Have you had family members affected? I'm sure people ultimately probably got away. Some missed out altogether. Did you miss out? Have you relatives or friends who got away or didn't get away? If you have anything to say, don't forget, you can always get in touch with us here on the show. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text or 0419832. No, it's not. It is. It's 0419832000. I always have to think about that because we had a different number. 0419832000 if you'd like to call in, if you're affected by what happened uh, at Dublin Airport in recent days in any way or perhaps last week even. If you have anything to say about it, we'd love to hear from you on the show. Lots of chat coming up over the next couple of hours but I begin today with a woman who'll never forget the 1st of July last year and she's going to tell us why. Margarita Cummins, welcome to Late Lunch. Jerry, thank you very much for having me. It's lovely to be on and get a chance to talk about Catherine and the wonderful charity cry. Listen, it's great to have you with us. Tell us about your daughter Catherine. Paint a picture for us, would you please? I'd love to. Yeah, Catherine was a beautiful, smart, funny, intelligent girl. She was so witty. And she was the quickest wit of all of us in the family. And uh, she went to school. We live here outside in Shockland County Meath. And she went to school in Ashburn Secondary School. We came from Galway originally. And then she went on to business in IT in Galway. And then she went on to Michael Smurfit to do a master's. And then from there, she went into media, working, media agencies doing advertising. And she, by the time uh, last year, she was an account director with uh, Zenith Core, uh, based in Windmill Lane there in Dublin. And uh, Jerry, she was doing fantastic. She was, she was uh, headhunted at one stage for a new job that um, 
that she decided not to go with because she loved the company she was with, Core, and she loved her work colleagues. Mm. Um, and uh, she was just beautiful. She was a beautiful girl too. She looked after herself. She walked 10,000 steps every day, either before work. They were working from home. She lived in Rathmines and there were two other girls, Aoife and Avril, living with her. And um, and she would walk at lunchtime and the phone would ring. I'd be just about to have my lunch and next thing she'd be on the phone. She could be on it for, you know, 30 minutes of the walk and chatting about this, that and the other. And I wouldn't get a word in. <laughs> uh, she was just so bubbly. And, mm. you know, she drew people with her. She was beautiful. She had lovely big blue eyes and beautiful smile. And, yeah, she was beautiful. Mm, and she, she was a gym bunny, I know, as well. Loved the gym as well as walking. And she, she was a fit young woman. She was, yeah. As I said, she used to, she wasn't sporty, but she loved yes. to walk 10,000 steps and she was very proud of that. And she walked all around Rathgar, Ranala, Rathmines, all around there during her day, uh, taking a break from working from home. And then she went to the gym mm. and she used to do the spinning classes. And, uh, you know, actually that Wednesday, the last time I spoke with her during that, that Wednesday, she said, Mom, I've lost five pounds. She was delighted and she went out for dinner with her boyfriend that night and he said to me afterwards, Margaret, she didn't eat anything. And I said, I knew. Uh, and I smiled over at my sister Fiona and I said, that's because she lost the five pounds, you know. Yes. But um, no, she, she, she looked after herself. She ate very well. She inspired me to eat healthier because mm. she, you know, she always, she ate fish. She didn't really eat that much red meat and she ate her vegetables and, you know, she stayed away from processed food. You know, she really looked after herself, Mary. Yes, she really yes. did. Now, you spoke to her on, on the Wednesday, as you said, and then the following day she was out uh, to celebrate with the boyfriend and she worked, as you, uh, as you mentioned, from home with Aoife and Avril. She didn't rise uh, as normal that morning. The, 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 she didn't come down for breakfast at the normal time of that, but they just sort of weren't alarmed about that? No, they weren't because during COVID she used to sometimes pick up the laptop in the morning and work from the bed, do initial calls and stuff. So this was the Thursday morning, the 1st of July. And the girls uh, uh, texted her. Avril was downstairs and Aoife was in the kitchen. And one of them texted her just before they went on a conference call and they noticed there was no response back. So when Avril came off the call, she went up to the room and she pushed in the door and saw her then. And then Aoife came up and they rang the um, ambulance. And the paramedics were fantastic, advised them on what to do. But really, Catherine was gone quite a while by the time they found her. Um, and and, and uh, during the night, one of them heard a noise, did they? But they didn't really pa- pass any heed of it. That's right, yeah. Afterwards, uh, Aoife had told us that she woke, she heard Catherine like as if she was moaning a bit and then she heard a sigh. She was going to go into her. She sounded like she was having a bad dream but then she decided not to because she sighed. She thought she'd turn over in the bed and went to sleep and when I asked Aoife, she said that was around 3.56 in the morning which mm. for me, Jerry, is nice to have a time and it was nice to that um, Aoife heard her pass, that she wasn't in some ways on her own Mm. when we couldn't be there. Yes. I'm sure you recall the events that then unfolded. Do you recall, did the guards come to you to to give you the news of what happened? Yeah, unfortunately the guards didn't get to me, Jerry, till, um, like the girls found her at about 10 past 11 that morning and 
the guards came out to me now, which was very good of them because I know some people get phone calls, but they arrived and I was working from home and I was out in the garden and we have a big side gate that you can still see through. And I saw this car coming in and turning in the driveway and two people got out, but I noticed the guard, the sign and logo on the back of the jacket and they came towards the gate and I, they said, is this Marguerite and Fergus house? And I said, yes. And immediately I knew something was wrong mm-hmm. and they wanted to come in. They said, can we come in and sit down? And I said, no. I said, what is it? Who is it? And I asked, is it my son, Sean, who had just gone to Bundoran to um, work up there? And they said, no. And I said, they said, can we come in? And I remember a funny thing, how your brain is protecting you. But I remember looking at his shoes and thinking, God, they're shocking plain shoes, you know. Yes. But when I think about it, it's your brain just, I knew he was going to say something really awful. I just knew that. And I was trying to divert it. Mm. And then I looked at her. I said, well, it's not Fergal, my husband, because I'd spoken with him. And then I looked at her and she looked like Catherine. She had a pair of scrubs on her. So I thought, well, maybe whoever's hurt or whatever's happened, they're in hospital. So I said, I put my hands to my head I said, and I shook my head and I said, it's not Catherine. And she just didn't. I said, is she in hospital? And she said, she didn't say. And I said, she's not dead. And she just looked at me and then she came through the gates and um, it was just terrible, Jerry. You know, it's, mm. it's for any parent to get that news and it was awful for the guards to have to give me that news. And yes. um, my other daughter, Nisha, she was upstairs. She came down and, and you're just kind of, it's like an out-of-body experience. You're just wailing, but you hear this noise, but you don't realise it's yourself. And um, and then I, I had the phone in my hand and they were trying to get us to sit. And, you know, all in hindsight, now thinking back on it, you don't want to sit because you don't want them. You don't want this to be real. You don't want to sit because if you sit, they'll tell you and, they'll, and it's real then. And mm. um, you don't want that. Nobody does. Nobody wants no. to be told that their child... No. is gone and taken totally unexpectedly and out of the blue. And Yeah, yeah. It was like she was plucked out of the earth. You know, yeah. that's the way it mm. felt like. It, she, suddenly she was there. Next thing she's gone. And, and it, it's just, it's, it's, it's indescribable uh, how to, you can't describe what mm. it's like. You know, it's, it's your worst nightmare. It, it transpired, of course, that she uh, unfortunately succumbed to this sudden adult death syndrome, SADS. Oh, so which yes, is absolutely, yeah, Jerry. Mm. I'd like to tell you a little bit about that. When this happened, to her, we I knew I'd had to get my two children, John and Nisha, screened for cardiac. To, you know, I was afraid anything would happen then. And so my sister Fiona googled because our GP wasn't so sure where to go. And my sister Fiona found uh, Cry uh, Cry website. And I have to say, from the moment we rang, Lucia, Elaine, and her team. And Dr. Crinion and Dr. Deirdre Ward were just incredible. They, from the minute we phoned, they were our next family. They just looked after us. We got free cardiac screening, you know, and then we had, they, they also actually, just to say, they also, the three things they do, they provide free screening, cardiac screening over in Tala. They also help people diagnosed with chronic cardiac illness. And then, which is a new thing for them, which is absolutely fantastic for families who have had this experience. They have a cry helpline that provides counselling, a listening, a caring listening ear to people. And these are all volunteers and it's provided uh, to, from the, to the 32 counties, uh, you know, on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and a Sunday. That a parent or a family member or a friend or a work colleague can ring up the voluntary, the, the, the helpline, and they can have somebody who will listen to them and help them and support them. 
it's just incredible. So um, mm. they've also got professional counselling. All these volunteers are all trained. Yes. And, and they also have free professional counselling and psychotherapy for families and friends too. But it's, they're an incredible charity and we didn't know about them when this happened, mm. Catherine. And so with Catherine's anniversary coming up um, in uh, the 2nd of July, 1st of July, we are organising the walk in Fairy House in her memory. And I thought, let's do something really positive. Let's, you know, for other families who, you know, unfortunately might experience this or who have experienced it, let's help. You know, this is all volunteers and everything. Let's help them by getting much needed funds for the charity. So that's why the walk is... um, it's happening. It's happening, yes. yeah. And Peter Rowe in Fairy House has been, he's the manager there. As soon as I met the call, he just like, we have to do this big, you know, let's go for this. So, um, yeah, so that's what we're doing. Barry Garrity is on board. Uh, he's just a lovely person. Both of them are, Peter and Barry. And we were there last Friday, did a little video. Uh, he's going to be there on the day. And uh, no, they're absolutely excellent. And I have a lovely friend. I should look at friends and family and, we're all going all out to celebrate Catherine's life because when somebody goes young, you don't want to... Like last year, we had a celebration of her life. It didn't feel right to be having a funeral. Mm. So we had a celebration of her life and we had her here in the kitchen with us, which felt normal. And the kitchen is the heart of the home and that's where we had her. And my brother-in-law, Dermot, uh, he, did, he did a wonderful job, a humanist ceremony and all her friends. And it was still COVID a bit, you know, so yes. we were... They were all in the garden and we were able to open up the doors and it was beautiful. And we brought her then to Banslow, uh, where my parents are buried and uh, she was very close to her granddad, Bill. So we brought her there and uh, we had uh, people lined the street there and clapped her in and uh, it was beautiful. You know, you make the best of what you can of an awful situation and with a young life, you have to do, you know, we pink balloons and... You have to do positive. You have yes. to be, you know, you just have to find the strength to do it right for them and mm. their memory. She was a great girl. She was really great. Isn't life so fragile and short and we're all here for only a small space, really, and we get hung up on stupid things and it's all about... Yeah, you do, yeah. And, and it's funny enough, mm. Catherine loved her style and... She loved Zara and she loved, you know, she got a lovely bags and stuff. She'd do with Vuitton, she'd Mulberry, all that. They're all here now and, and she's gone. But as I said the other night, I was saying to someone, she's gone with love and she went with love and peace. And, and that's what it's about, Jerry. life at the end of the day. All these materialistic things, you leave them behind. Yeah. Now, now, I still like my bags and stuff, but, you know, it really struck me last year the love that came into us, into the house from neighbours, friends, all over the world, people were contacting us and the love we had. And that's what it's about. And it is extremely short, you know, isn't it? You know, yes, it's just, you just it don't know. I never thought I would lose a child. I used to always worry about her in the car, hmm. uh, but I never thought I'd lose her to this. To this, to SADS. No. And it is important, no. the message you want to get across today. Any family with a history of cardiac illness in your family, do get your children checked. That's a very yeah, important message. It, it is. I would just suggest they go to their GP and talk to their GP. Yes. And, and if they're worried over a weekend, they can go into A&E. But it, it's worth just if there's cardiac... Like, we would have had cardiac illness in our family. You know, people died in their 50s. So we never knew of anyone this young to die yes. in our family. Mm. But I, I would I would like to get it out there about the wonderful our charity, Cry, Cardiac Risk in the Young. They're based in Tala. Um, if you go on to actually just to say a little bit about the walk, if I can, Jerry. Yep. 
if people want to, we'd, if people would love to, love if they could donate anything, it's 15 euro on the day, but if somebody wants to give a five or a tenner, it doesn't matter what it is, you can go on to the website Cry or you can go on to eventbrite.ie and click on the donate button and Catherine's uh, walk will come up, walk for Catherine at Fairy House. And look, we're happy with any donation, but yes. you don't have to register. A registration is free. You can turn up on the day. You know, we'd love to see people. And and it's also just not just about Catherine. It's about celebrating our own people, their own loved ones as well. Yes. And and out for the walk and remembering them. Do you know? It's, Listen, um, you're great to come on and uh, talk about her. So. Uh so well, eloquently and, and we, we really get a picture of her now and we remember her today and I wish you well with the walk in July and having Barry Gerty and Peter on board and all the people there is fantastic we'll give it a good plug in for you between now and then I promise you oh I'm so thank and you thank Jerry. you we really appreciate Not that at all. And thank you so much thanks for thank coming you. on to Late Lunch today take care of yourself bye bye that's Margarita Commons there bye 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 talking about her lovely daughter Catherine and uh, that walk very special to the family and many other people as well. Late lunch LMFM radio coming up shortly on the show. Sandra Finnegan will be with us to talk about the chaos at Dublin Airport. Stay with us on Late Lunch. Little story for you Louise a number of years ago when I went to Sligo to fish Lock Arrow first I met a man called Mike Bunn and very famous man. Famous, famous man. One of Ireland's greatest photographers. Fashion photographers, landscape now, everything else beside. But he's an unbelievable character. And it was a weekend of birthdays because Mike celebrated his 80th birthday on Saturday. And I went to Sligo, did a little bit of fishing, but the fishing was irrelevant. I wanted to interview Mike, which I did for a few hours. And Louise... It was just amazing. And uh, I will later in the year, um, I'm working on a documentary Mm. about his life and times. And he is just unbelievable. But it was just fantastic. At 80, he's uh, just full of life and he's working away still. And so many people. So many famous people. Oh my God Almighty. This man has lived. Not one lifetime, several lifetimes in his allotted span so far of 80 years. And on he goes, I have to say. But I've always enjoyed his company and uh, I I thank him for his time on Saturday, on his birthday, to spend time with me. uh, And it was just great. And and that's down the road to come. But happy birthday, Mike Bunn. I want to wish you uh, the happiest of birthdays. And we had a celebration. There was a celebration for him in Sligo on Saturday evening. Champions League on. Well, Mike was the champion on Saturday, to be honest with you. And lots of his friends showed up to uh, pay tribute to him and that as well it, it was just great it, it really was I so enjoyed it um, and of course Louise of course Mike shares his birthday <laughs> with Kylie Minogue yes <laughs> yes Kylie Minogue 54 on Saturday Kylie was and she doesn't she, she look amazing had unbelievable mm. unbelievable now I, I have to call her out a little bit in the company she's been keeping yeah in certain photographs for the fella called McGregor Are but anyway jealous that's I am. I'm mad jealous. I'm mad. I'm I jealous. believe you have even written to McGregor this morning. <laughs> Can I hang out with you? <laughs> I, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. But anyway, yeah, a weekend of birthdays, it, it was for sure. But uh, yeah, um, and tied in with all that, the, the, the sport as well. Leinster losing, Liverpool losing, Mead ladies losing. It was a weekend of loss for the favourites. The only thing was Nottingham Forest were promoted. Paddy Goodwin's over the moon, I'm sure, with that one. Anyway, that was the weekend that was. But here is Kylie. And this is especially 
for herself. She's singing to herself here for her birthday. And for Mr. Mike Bond, 80 years young on Saturday. Happy birthday again, Mike. I have a Nottingham Forest fan. I thought there was only one in this neck of the woods, Mr Paddy Goodwin, but there's obviously more looking for me to play Mull of Kintyre. You see, that's the forest anthem they sing. They sang it at Wembley yesterday. Well, I'll tell you what, I won't be playing it. It'll put everyone asleep, Mull of Kintyre. You need a new song going up to the Premier League. If you go up at Mull of Kintyre, you're in trouble, to be honest with you. Anyway, congratulations to Forest fans on their promotion to the Premier League last uh, evening. Uh, they've been a long time away. Jerry, what has our country come to between our hospitals and airports? We are going backwards, says Anne. That's waiting lists, queuing, etc. Anyway, somebody knows who what's going on at the airport. Finger on the pulse, I'm sure, as always. Sandra Finnegan from Globe Travel is on the line. Hello, Sandra. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm good, my God. A thousand people missing flights yesterday, including our beloved top flight with 30-something people getting to the gate and not being allowed board, Sandra. Yeah, absolutely. And I had two passengers on that. Uh, and in fairness to top flight, they were very hands on the ground. Mm. They, had, uh, they had a representative at the airport once they realised there was a major issue. Um, and those passengers who were due to go to Naples to go down to the beautiful Amalfi Coast had to be flown into Rome later on in the day. So they got away? They got away and they were uh, coach transferred from Rome to Naples. They were the lucky ones, Jerry. Mm. A lot of people weren't so lucky they had to go home, Sandra. Absolutely. And like Top Flight covered the cost involved in, you know, re- relocating those passengers on alternative flights. I had other passengers who were due to fly to Canada uh, business class passengers travelling out um, three hours at the airport and the phone call I got yesterday morning at nine o'clock to say it was pure and utter mayhem mm. with about four DAA staff trying to control uh, twenty to 30,000 passengers trying to get into the air- airport. So is that, the, does it boil down to this again? Is this the number of the issue? They're, do they not have the staff or were the rosters left short? Um, that I couldn't tell you, Jerry. But there was there was no there was no feet on the ground by the DAA to cope with what they needed yesterday. And you know, in a situation like top flight, where the passengers were repatriated to a different flight, mm. but if you didn't have the funds or the means, or you were returning back, you know, leaving Ireland after maybe being on holidays here, and you didn't have the option to pay for a new flight, like Ryanair and Aer Lingus were passing the cost back onto the passengers. So, like, there was no free changes mm. for anybody there yesterday. Mm. Now, the DAA have set up um, a new email address for submitting your claims, um, to, you know, and, and they will go through them individually. But if you had a family of two out of three or four kids and you were looking for alternative plans, it would have been a very costly exercise yesterday. Mm. So it comes down to the uh, fact, whatever the reason is behind it, that there are not enough staff on the ground to handle the numbers who are travelling through the airport at the moment. 
Absolutely. No. And like, you know, we've, we've been telling our customers if you're traveling European, three hours. If you're traveling long haul, four hours. Yesterday, I was in the office here for two hours yesterday morning trying to get passengers sorted. And all our passengers for today, or for later yesterday, for today and tomorrow, we've rang everybody to say, give yourself four to four and a half hours. And I'm sure they think we're cracked. Mm. But we just want to ensure people will make the flight. And Sandra, when I think we're just at the end of May, the peak season is on the horizon. This is only going to get worse if the situation remains the same. You know, like all the students, all the university students are all heading off, you know, from today, tomorrow mm. onwards. You know, school holidays, schools out now for secondary schools. So the traffic is now from now until mid to late September. Yes. They had, they had nine, 12 months to get this in order. And and obviously, in a practical sense, the airlines themselves, uh, the carriers and the private operators or whatever, uh, they fly at a time. There's no holding back flights to wait for people. No, not at all. As you've seen that, that Naples flight that went yesterday, like, you know, the flight got delayed unloading the baggage. Mm. The passengers could have been sitting on board by the time it took them to unload that baggage. There was no logic to it. Yes. Yes. Absolutely zero logic to it. Now, I know Minister Nocton was in chats with the DAA today uh, to try and put things forward. The airlines um, are proactively this morning emailing us to tell us to tell all our passengers, like, for example, Lufthansa, who normally's first, their airport uh, check-in normally starts at 3 a.m. They're opening tomorrow morning at 2 a.m. Mm. to accommodate so is the problem at check-in, at security, where is the, is the pinch point? Uh, the problem is, first of all, getting into the aircraft. That was the difficulty yesterday. So just getting into so the airport itself? Getting, getting into the airport yesterday was the difficulty. Um, like if you parked your car, you had to come back out and queue. The passengers, you know when you're approaching Terminal 1 and 2? Yeah. The passengers were, were in a queue... You know, you were maybe five, six hundred metres of a queue getting into the airport. Half mm. a kilometre of a queue. Mm. So that's where the pinch is. What about security? What are you hearing about there, getting through security? Security, again, depending on the terminal. Like, I check my app all the time. Terminal 2 was a bit better today. The, uh, the security at Terminal 2 yesterday was um, 80 to 90 minutes. And mm. Terminal 1 was the same. Today, Terminal 1 is at 60 minutes and Terminal 2 is between 30 to 45 minutes. Parking is an issue too, I'm hearing. Yeah, they haven't reopened all the spaces. So, for example, we've had clients who've booked parking slots. Uh, they've got their, you know, their, their, their tag to go through to the airport. And when they arrive into the parking, there's no spaces available. What do you do then, Sandra? You just keep driving around, Jerry. And in some cases, you have to exit, uh, buzz the buzzer, and then you may have to go to one of the long-term or the long-stay, yeah. drive back out. And then again, you need an extra 45 minutes to do that. So if you can get somebody to drop you in the you vicinity, to drop you. Yeah. you are better off. Absolutely. What, what's your gut feeling about this? As I said, this is the start of the real busy, busy season in out of Dublin Airport. Is it going to be addressed? Have you confidence that it'll be addressed? I don't know. They're talking about bringing in the army from tomorrow. Uh, that's the, the news on the ground at the moment to try and help alleviate security 
uh, because the big problem is the security staff had to get security clearance. Now, when I went through there two weeks ago, um, we whizzed through. Uh, people keep ringing us saying, look, we want to buy Fast Track. Fast Track is not available on the DAA site. The only way you can purchase Fast Track at the airport is if you are travelling with Ryanair, you can purchase it as part of your bundle. Or if you're a business class passenger, that will automatically give you Fast Track. But if you're travelling with any other airline in economy, you do not have a facility to purchase Fast Track. When you go on the DAA website, it's showing sold out. That means that they just have knocked the the switch off on purchasing fast track. Mm. But if you have fast track and you can't get into the airport initially, the 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 concourse, you're in trouble. Yeah. The other the other big advantage, which what our lingus are doing at the moment, is you can drop your bags the night before. So if you're on a flight, say heading to New York or San Francisco or Malaga or Faro or Copenhagen or whatever and you're flying with Aer Lingus, you can go the bag drop the night before, drop your bags, which means when you're going through the next day, all you're going through is with your boarding card to get through security. Mm. And that would be a help again in and these it, circumstances. Particularly if you're travelling with children, well worth considering. Mm. The The other thing is, the army is an option that, you know, <laughs> why does it take this chaos maybe to jig people or push people into action? The army would be a big help, I take it. I would imagine so, like they're trained in this situation. You know, armies in different countries help throughout but it's a pure embarrassment for this country mm. and for the tourism season, you know. Mm. Like, industries like mine for the last two years have absolutely been tortured, you know, with COVID and all the rest. And just when we're getting back, to it, the last thing people need is all these additional four or five hour check-in. If you're on a flight at six o'clock or seven o'clock in the morning she's up all night yeah you might as well go there at uh, 10 o'clock or nine o'clock the previous evening and and, yeah. and get in and get sorted shocking to yeah. say that what's the situation belfast cork shannon shannon a dream cork a dream but the problem is they don't have the services yes like they have a handful of services yes so like dublin has the monopoly on the routings mm. so that's what you're up against and then unfortunately uh with belfast the currency situation is also a deterioration. Yes. People don't really want to get into that either. And, mm. you know, some of the restrictions are a little bit different travelling with COVID, travelling ex-Northern Ireland than it is from the South. Um, again, it's just patience and time. And yesterday they estimated 50,000 passengers went through Dublin Airport and Dublin Airport weren't fit to Handling. look after them. Mm. Yeah. It puts, uh, I'm sure, I, I say it again, I've always said it, you, you're fantastic and your people there and all our travel agents across the North East who are there for people and trying to help. But even for you, and I know in the past, you've helped so many people and worked wonders in crisis situations. Is this unprecedented? I knew yesterday morning uh, when I looked at the app on my phone at seven o'clock in the morning and I seen the queue in time, I said, this is going to be a long day. And you know. it certainly was. But I know you always do your best for everybody Absolutely. to try and, and help them even in the extenuating circumstances. So just to finish again today, your last words to our listeners. If you're travelling in, in the next week or so, give us those times again you should go. I would first of all say download the Dublin Airport app onto your phone. Okay. Very, very important. Watch the security times. If you're travelling on European flights, three to three and a half hours and long haul flights, four and a half hours. 
There you have it from the woman that knows. Thank you, Sandra, as always. So useful. Thanks for joining me. Take care. care. Uh, That's Sandra Finnegan there from Globe Travel with lots of advice for you if you're on your way travelling in the next number of days. The army is an option. If it's needed, emergency situations, they should get in there to sort this out. Thousand people missing flights. Oh, my God. Can you imagine the the, uh, absolute bedlam that causes for families and arrangements? There's children involved as well. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Now, if you have a young person who's in the process of moving from primary school to secondary school, You'll be interested to hear what my next guest has to say. We are not alone in Dublin. It's no consolation, I know. But if you flew into Lisbon Airport in recent days, uh, you would have uh, experienced chaos because, you see, uh, the border agency there who check your passports when you come in had a plenary session for three hours. Chaos. Thousands of passengers on international flights had to wait up to six hours to get through in Lisbon. Oh my God, that was yesterday in Lisbon. So we are not alone. Thanks, Eddie, for letting me know about that. If there's any consolation, it's not just Dublin. There you go. Anyway, my next guest is very interesting. And, you know, summer camps, people are looking around at the moment for summer camps for the children with uh, secondary schools out this week and then primaries to follow in a few weeks' time. This is so interesting. It's called Inside Out Camp and its founder is to, is with me to tell me more. Hello, Tracy Moore and Rosso. How are you? I'm great, Jerry. Good afternoon and thank you so much for having me on the show. Not at all. I am really uh, enthralled by this idea. Tell our listeners, picture to the listeners, how and why is this different to run-of-the-mill camps? Um, I suppose the big thing is that it is a mix of physical and mental challenges. So what we're trying to do is we want um, kids to get away from their day-to-day routine, away from tech, away from, I suppose, academia and their normal day-to-day and immerse themselves in um, a mix of physical and mental challenges outside. um, It's actually based at Gormanston, just uh, down the road from you guys. So I suppose the focus, or what's different about it in terms of other activities, there's, there's amazing camps all over the country, but they, in some respects, I suppose they're geared towards a particular activity. So they could be, mm. you know, adrenaline-based, outdoor, you know, surfing, kayaking, zip lining, all that kind of good stuff. Or they could be um, something like design-led stuff, you know, STEM, um, photography, videography, all w- wonderful camps. I suppose the focus for us is it's a mixture of a number of activities and there's a focus on positive mindset, on character building, on life skills. It's it's a really well-balanced camp that's focused on the kids really coming to grips with themselves and helping to learn more about themselves by the end of it. It's fascinating and different, as I said. 12 to 14-year-olds, you are looking in particular at that transition where uh, young people are moving from the primary level into the secondary. Mm-hmm. That age suggests that. That's what it is, is it? Yeah, and I have a couple of reasons for that, Jerry. Um, I suppose my own, the whole reason behind um, setting up my inside out is because I would have battled with um, my, my whole experience in terms of teen, around depression, around friendships, um, is not, uh, I suppose, a period of my life that I like to review and go back on. So it's a block in time that is not a positive experience. And I don't want that to be the same for other kids. And it really kicked in around that, uh, 13 to 14 age profile. So I went from confident to um, very introvert, lacking confidence and all of that. So that was one of my key things. I really wanted to come back and create something that really focused in on that, that age profile 
The other side of it is um, following a number of conversations with teachers. Uh, Joan Freeman from Pieta has been an incredible resource. You know, the, the, the one key aspect I think that really glared out at me was the difference that kids can go in at um, second year, um, a particular character, a particular personality, and they can come out quite different, positive and negative. So it's a really instrumental stage in their development. Um, and I really noticed that there's a lot of focus on primary and there's some amazing camps and there's some amazing learnings that's done through the schools. And then there's a huge focus on TY, on transition. And there seems to be a little bit of a gap there between the 12 to 14 year where yes. there isn't so much going on. And that's really why I wanted to home in on it. Confidence, instilling it, building resilience, laying the foundations for a positive mindset from uh, uh, an age, a very important age. All those things running through this camp. Absolutely. I just feel that if the kids know themselves first and foremost, the world will just open up for them. So if you've got confidence in your own ability, in your own personality, in who and what you are and what you represent, I think everything else should be a lot easier. So it's it's really about them, you know, about their own state, about their own mindset, about what's on the inside and respecting, understanding, acknowledging um, and really appreciating themselves and their own value. Um, And then, you know, the world is changing so much and there's so many different opportunities that they possibly haven't even envisaged in terms of careers and in terms of what they will do with their lives. But at least if they've got the core values and that self-confidence, I think they could take on the world if they if they have the mindset for it. I, I love, I've, I've looked at the structure of the programmes as well. And of course, you have the physical, mental and creative challenges all in there, starting with breakfast, by the way, every day, which is very important. Um, what's the quiet time about? So, look, it's a very full programme, so I suppose it's chill time that we have them going, going with the clappers between, you know, the physical, they could be running around playing tag rugby, doing a physical challenge with bushcraft, survival skills. And then there's, you know, I suppose there's the drain from a, from a, a mental aspect where they're doing, you know, uh, team building and leadership and communication. The chill time is really for their own space and it's time out to, you know, engage with the new people that they're getting to know. Um, time out to just literally enjoy being outside in the nature and the beautiful grounds of Gormanston. Um, it's it's that just that window of opportunity for them to actually take stock, really. Um, and that's their flexible time for them to do with what they want. And I love your inspiration hour. I think it's you're going to have some really cracking guest speakers to talk to the participants. Yeah, so I suppose a key thing for me was I really didn't want this to be about academia and I wanted it to be in a very... A non-academic, non-school sort of um, foundation and, and platform. So my speakers are all interactive. I've got the wonderful Shane Craddock is coming to sort of set the tone at the beginning of the camp and really inspire the kids to embrace, um, I suppose, and empower them to make the camp the best it can be by having a positive, a positive attitude from the get-go. So I suppose it's all around what you put in is what you get out. I've got um, I've got the wonderful Jack Woolley, our Olympian taekwondo um, medalist who won't just be speaking to kids who'll be giving a taekwondo demonstration but it's all about how he has approached goal setting and the challenges of applying himself to the Olympics um, we have another um, amazing slot in there on Friday it's called the fundamentals and it's about life skills but it's all done through incredible spirit games so it's really inter- interactive everything from color wars but it's all focused on life skills and team building communication leadership so there's, there's particular um, 
you know, I've picked the slots specifically for the core learnings, but they're all done in a very non-academic way. If that, if that makes sense, Jerry. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And of course, you mentioned Joan Freeman from Pieta House, who's uh, involved with you as well. And uh, Paul McDermott, I, I see another fantastic guy. So there's so much going on. You've two dates, 13th to the 17th of June, 20th to the 24th of June. How do people find out a bit more about this? OK, well, I only have availability now for the first week. So, oh, um, very good. Yeah, we're, we're down to limited spaces for the um, for the first week, which is from the 13th. Um, so insideoutcamps.ie um, or info at insideoutcamps.ie or if they want to check out information on insideout.camp on Instagram and all of the information is there, drop me a line. Um, I suppose one of the core things for us is that we do a pre-camp chat with every parent so that we get an insight into every single child that comes to the camp. And that's really important to us on, on a couple of fronts. It means that we've got an insight into that child's personality um, so that we can make sure that they are grouped, teamed with um, with kids that either share or are completely different. So it's a really balanced approach to how they're being teamed up and they can get the best out of their experience. So it really is a rounded approach mm. from start to finish. I love this. I congratulate you on it. And it's no surprise your second week is full and it's only a matter of time before your uh, full house for the first week as well. Inside Out Camp, it is a residential at Gormanston College. I wish you all well. Thank you for joining me and telling us about it today, Tracy. An absolute pleasure, Jerry. Thanks so much. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. No need to remind you that the way of work changed completely with the emergence of the COVID-19 pandemic. And we are emerging, thank God, uh, from those dark days when everybody was stuck at home. And we now have what's called a hybrid or blended working model in many, many places. And I'm delighted to welcome back one of our regulars on the show. She's a work behaviourist, Fiona Buckley. Hello, Fiona. Hi, Jerry. How are you doing? I'm really good. Thank you for joining me again on the show. Well, I'll ask you this to start off. People are saying that you get the best of both worlds, you know, with this hybrid blended scenario. What's your views? What do you think? I am an absolute firm believer that it is the best of both worlds, because if you cast ourselves back to pre-pandemic, the amount of people that were looking for remote working and got declined um, due to whatever reason that the organisation had at the time was huge. And now we're in a situation, we're coming out of the pandemic, but we have that best of both worlds and we can work two or three days from home in most organizations, of course, and then we can be back in the office for that connection piece. There's a lot of reports coming out now, especially psychologist reports saying that it actually is not healthy to be working from home five days a week. Now, we had to do it during the pandemic, but we don't have to do it now anymore. So the best of both worlds is having that connection and visibility piece in the office, connecting with your colleagues, going for those coffees and lunches, having those kind of brainstorming meetings, and then going back home to work in a different way in our own home environment. So I'm a very strong opinion of it is the best of both worlds. Now, there are people who are finding it difficult to go back to the office. Some people have uh, their circumstances. They feel they can you know, manage better their life in general, work, family, home, etc., by remaining at home. But, um, you know, where there's a feeling with somebody where maybe that is not an issue and that you get into a rut with this homework and that you haven't been in the office at all for a long time how can you over that yeah like it's a massive change to routine and as we all know and i'm sure ourselves included jerry we're creatures of habit 
we love our routine. We tend to have the same breakfast in the morning, the same cup of coffee, mm-hmm. and we love routine. And now that's changing all over again. And a lot of people are saying that the this transition back to the office or back to hybrid working is harder than March 2020 when we were all immediately forced to working from home. And the feeling, unfortunately, that I'm hearing a lot is resentment or people resenting going back into the office. That's a really strong negative emotion. Like if you look up resentment in the dictionary, it'll say it's a negative emotional reaction to being mistreated. Mm. And that's not the case. That's kind of a bit distant from reality that's going on. But I've heard that word resentment quite a number of times over the last couple of weeks in one-to-one capacity in coaching sessions and mentoring sessions. And it's important that if anyone is feeling that kind of feeling of resentment or any negative emotion, we need to get behind what's actually causing that an emotion. And I have a lovely practical technique to share with you today, Jerry. It's called emotional swapping. And it's where you swap out a really negative emotion to another one. So, for example, if you're feeling resentment, can you swap that out to feeling maybe apprehensive? Because it's less negative yes. and it's something you can work towards. Another example would be if you're really nervous about getting back into the office in person, maybe going to meetings or presenting in front of peers or senior management, can you swap out a nervousness to feel more excitement or gratitude to be in the position to be able to do that back in person? So emotional swapping can really help when we're having strong negative emotions. What's this term, uh, re-entry anxiety? Does that tie in with what you've just been mentioning there? Is it different? Yeah, I'd love to know who came up with the term re-entry anxiety. It sounds like a, something like with an airplane or something, yes, right? Yes. It doesn't, it's, it's a strange one. And um, But it is a term that's been kind of used quite a lot at the moment. And re-entry anxiety is literally having anxiety about going back into the workplace. Now, from my personal experience, I'm kind of saying to people, you need to give it at least six to eight weeks um, not 68, <laughs> six to eight uh, <laughs> weeks to really um, kind of get beyond this kind of newness and, you know, new routine. But re-entry anxiety is just a kind of a fear or anxiety about going back in. It's about, you know, meeting back with colleagues you maybe you didn't get on with very well, or if you've any issues with managers or anything like that, you're bringing all that back up into the fold and you're back in person. If you're more kind of of an introverted, quieter personality, again, it's about going back into that sensory overload of a noisy office or lots of meetings and things like that. So it is a very real thing. And anxiety is in the future. So anytime we're anxious about something, it's about a future thing. So what I'm encouraging people is just to kind of be present, take it day by day and start soon and start small is what I'm saying. So if you haven't gone back in yet, and there's a lot of people putting it off, by the way. So if you haven't gone back in yet, just go in for a day next week or the week after and start small. Put some boundaries in play for you and know your non-negotiables going back in. So if people are trying to, you know, loads of people in the office are trying to catch up for coffee, maybe limit it to one or two because it might be just a little bit too much for you. Now, I experienced, uh, you know, being at home full time and I have to say, I found it difficult. And, you know, having energy in this job and most jobs is a very important thing that you're up for it. You know what I'm talking about, Fiona, every day that you're you're ready to go and, and, and give it your best. In hybrid working then, you know, you're getting back into the office. I found that a great help. You know what I mean? To come back in uh, even yeah. on a mixed model. I'm at home in the mornings and I'm in doing the show a little bit afterwards and it works well. But energy, your energy, especially being at home. Talk to me a bit about that. 
Yeah, like energy is absolutely key. Like we need to manage our energy like it's money. That's the way I say it. Your energy is absolutely everything. Like you charge your phone, we have to charge ourselves. I was coaching a lady last week who went back into the office one full day and had something like nine in-person meetings in that particular day. Mm. She phoned me and said I, she had to actually lie down in a dark room for about two hours when she came home. She locked herself away from her children, everything. And mm. she said her energy, like she was just completely drained. And drained is the word. Like we, when our energy is depleted, we are drained. So it's important that we look at what are the things that are our energizers around us that could be going for a walk, you know, taking a break, connecting with somebody. Mm. And then what are the things that drain us both at home and in the office? And we need to put kind of some sort of boundary around that as best we can, particularly around the amount of meetings that we have either at home or in work. So I think that's going to be the key thing is just to really maintain that energy and know what you, you know, know how you recharge. So if it's just sitting in front of Netflix for four hours, which I'm definitely guilty of myself, um, if that's how you recharge, do it and know what you need to do um, to protect that boundary, especially as you go back. Commuting could be a thing as well. If you're back to two days in the office and it could be an hour each way with traffic, um, that could be a thing that you have to mind your energy. So again, if you're going to be stuck in a car for an hour, listen to listen to the radio, <laughs> listen to podcasts, listen to things that will pass that time and be good for you on that way in. Because again, going back to the resentment piece, commuting is the biggest kind of complaint I've heard. Yes, and make sure you have LMFM as your number exactly. one station and <laughs> app on your radio or on your smartphone or wherever. But that's an interesting point you make. The energy it takes when you go back and you go back in full throttle. Like that lady you talked about there, you know, gone months on end without that and then suddenly you have to deal with it. And of course the commute by car, by train, by bus is an issue as well. Anything else that, you know, you're seeing emerging from your working experience at the moment on, that will help people listening today to make sure that the hybrid works for us yeah and you know the, the thing is jerry hybrid does work but we all have to kind of take accountability to make sure we're bringing kind of ourselves to into that we need energy we need commitment and you know i think organizations in general have been quite fair now there's always the outliers of course but in most cases organizations have been very fair and very reasonable they want to capitalize on the benefits that people have had working from home but they also want to make sure they're feeling included and they're having that connection piece. And I think it's important for careers as well, because I think when we were all working from home, we were all in the same boat. We're not now. So I think another couple of things that I've heard quite a lot recently, and especially in a one-to-one capacity, is people feeling their careers have been kind of put on ice mm. during the pandemic. And they're feeling a little bit kind of negative around career and progression and growth in their organization. So that's why visibility and connection is going to be key when you go back into the office. So what I would say is, you know, protect your energy, know when you're most productive. If you want hybrid to work for you, are you really productive in the morning or does your kind of real productivity kick in in the afternoon? If you get to know those productivity cycles, that can really help you and plan for your day in the office or days in the office. Again, I've seen people um, go into the office with their earphones on. Uh, again, probably listening to the radio, of course, Jerry, which is fine. <laughs> but they're in the corner of the office with their earphones on, not connecting with anyone. Then they're getting resentful for being in there because they may as well have been at home. And they're right. They may as well have been at home if that's what they're doing. So plan your days when you're in there to try and get the most out of it while protecting your energy. Set your boundaries and make sure you're kind of setting yourself an intention or a goal for the week. Maybe it's somebody who's over from a different office and you're dying to catch up with them. If that's your intention, great. But it's all around planning 
boundaries and managing yourself. Um, you know, take control of the thoughts. If you're feeling kind of pessimistic or negative, try and get behind that. And um, I have one last technique I'll share if that's okay, Jerry. No bother. Um, it's, a, it's a technique called name it, neutralize it. So if you're feeling negative emotions, name what the emotion is. So for example, frustration is the top negative emotion we can all have in work. So if you name frustration, then we neutralize it by asking ourselves why, okay? And it's we keep asking ourselves why to kind of do a little root cause analysis on what's really causing that negative emotion. And you might be surprised by some of the results that sit behind it. So our heads can be a very powerful place at the moment. They can help or hinder us. So I think taking control of our thoughts and really tapping into our emotions is a really, really important thing as we move back to the office. Fantastic. It's the way of the world, Fiona. This is it for the future. It is. It's it's the new normal. The new normal, but there are ways of making it work on both sides for everybody. FionaBuckley.com. Check her out. Thank you so much. Talk to you next month. Bye, Jerry. See you then. Bye-bye. That's work behaviourist Fiona Buckley there working in this whole area uh, on a day-to-day basis. Knows what it's all about. I love the hybrid myself, to be honest, which I think is a great way of working. And... Uh, Once it works for everybody, well, why not, as they say. Late lunch, LMFM radio, still to come on the show today. Well, the centre of the world, Ireland, when it comes to spuds this week. Yes, believe it or not, the World Potato Congress is happening in Ireland. We're having a chat about tatties in a little bit of, uh, in a little while after three o'clock. And I have a soundtrack that's going to rock you. I promise, I promise. Stay with us on Late Lunch, short break, back in a moment. Natalie Embrullier, torn on your late lunch this Monday afternoon. Happy birthday, Josie Deans. Josie's from Navin. She's a big fan of mine, I'm told, by Keenan and Detta, who send her in their best wishes today. On her birthday, she's 87 years young. Josie, thanks for listening. Happy birthday to you. I hope you have a great, great day. And all your friends and family and Keenan and Detta. Want to wish you all the very best. Brendan Conlon is 60 today. He's from Green Gates in Dundalk. Have a wonderful day from everyone in Oriel Body Repairs. Happy birthday, Brendan. Enjoy. Jerry, the problems at Dublin Airport. You don't need to be the brain of Britain to work out that during COVID, DAA offered a thousand people a redundancy package. And since the resumption of travel, they've only taken on 100. That leaves 900 short, of course, if you do the maths. If you reduce your workforce by that level, you have to expect consequences. Unfortunately, it's you and I and Joe Public who are bearing the brunt of this. Also, Dublin is not the only airport being affected by shortages. Last week, we flew home from Corfu and had to queue for an hour outside the terminal before we gained entry. And I can tell you, Corfu Airport would be minuscule in comparison to Dublin. Paul, thank you so much. Point really well made there. It is true. 1,000 out, 100 in. It simply doesn't add up. And to make up that shortage, yes, let's get the army boys and girls in there to bridge the gap between uh, now and when they've recruited back the numbers that are necessary to process people. Hey, Louise, tell them what you said a minute ago. I was watching that. We have the TV here in studio. We're keeping an eye on things as well. And there is Eamon Ryan, the minister in Dublin Airport. Tell them what you said to me. What's he doing? Pushing the planes? (laughs) 
<laughs> Our Green Minister, I love it. You're too smart. You are very sharp, I have to say. Is Eamon Sometimes Ryan pushing the plane? You get very plane? exasperated, though, don't you? <laughs> you do. When you're looking at these things and these yeah. faces pop up. Yeah, Tony Connolly is there just at the moment. He's elsewhere. But anyway, Eamon Ryan, we'll hear more about that as the evening goes on. Claireborn Live, last ever programme tonight. You'll be watching. It's gone, finished. But sure, I could see the writing on the wall there. It became like Blue Peter. <laughs> <laughs> you did actually. You rang me last Friday and he says, no, told you. Didn't I tell you? That programme couldn't last. It couldn't last. It was becoming Blue Peter uh, with props and making this and sticking this together and bottles and... <laughs> Hold on a minute, Claire. What the hell is going on is here? Like us? <laughs> now, now, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. We do a bit of it. And then the Amarok smart, fo- smart pole. Oh, if I didn't bust the telly once. You know that? Every week we consulted Seth Housendly through the Amarok smart pole. Who gives a fiddlers, you know what, about Amarok smart poles? Whoever give a damn of what people thought anyway when it came to the political sphere? All they give a damn about you is when they're coming looking for the vote and after that, see in four years or five years or whenever it is. Oh my God. Anyway, good luck Claire with she's staying on the radio of course and RT have plans for the future. They're looking at this, that and the other. Anyway, it's finished tonight. The last ever Claire Byrne live. I'm sure there'll be thousands and thousands tuned in across the country, tuned in as there always is every week. Coming up... Jerry Kelly live. (laughs) Coming up... Sorry, I laugh when the break happens even more in a moment. Anyway, thank you, Louise. Uh, Coming up after three on the show. Yes, we're talking spuds and my soundtrack on the way after news, weather and sport. Top of the hour. It's time for my soundtrack this week and it's from a musical. Since the mid-90s, there had been a lot of talk about creating a musical around Queen and their songs. Initially, it was intended to revolve entirely around Freddie Mercury, but when Brian May and Roger Taylor engaged with Ben Elton, he suggested an entirely different path. It would be an original story that would capture Queen's musicality in its entirety. So working closely with May and Taylor, Elton completed the work in 2001. Though critics panned the production, punters flocked to see it from the day it opened at the Dominion Theatre in London on May 14, 2002. In fact, We Will Rock You became the longest-running musical ever at the renowned Dominion Theatre venue. What the hell do critics know anyway, you'd have to ask yourself. So let's begin a week of Queen and We Will Rock You with this one. It's a kind of magic It's a kind of magic A kind of magic Andre. This week's featured soundtrack, which is from the musical We Will Rock You, It's a Kind of Magic from Queen 1986, the title track from the album of the same name, written by Roger Taylor, made number three in the UK charts and featured in probably the worst movie I have ever seen in my entire life called Highlander. And I mentioned this in company one night and somebody else said it was their favourite. So it just shows you the tastes are extreme with different people, different horses, horses for courses, as they say. But Highlander in my book was absolutely brutal 
Only parallel by 2001 A Space Odyssey, another turkey in Kelly's <laughs> collection of bad movies. There you go. Anyway, more from uh, We Will Rock You in Words and Song about this time tomorrow afternoon. Final break of the day on the way. And next up, it's all about the humble spud. You can shove your pasta and rice for the next while. A thousand delegates from all over the world, from 60 countries, arriving in Dublin for the 11th International World Potato Congress, which began today. And there for us, I'm really, she's a correspondent on late lunch today, is the wonderful Jenny Mead from Mead Farm near Lobenstown in County Mead. Hello, Jenny. Hi, hello, Jerry. Delighted <laughs> to be a roving, a roving reporter at last. <laughs> there you are. I just thought of that as I was introducing <laughs> you, and you are for us today because you are there. What is this Potato World Congress all about? So this is the it's it's like the World Cup of potato events. Um, it would be a gathering of um, uh, about. Um, People from about, yeah, from around 60 countries, and it's all about uh, academics, aid agencies, industry experts, government bodies, people, potato boffins of all uh, shapes and sizes, talking about um, uh, potatoes and how they play such a vital role in sustainable development and food security and nutrition, and how they are going to help solve a lot of uh, nutritional needs and problems for uh, for the world going forward. So the Congress itself, um, we Ireland would have beat out a number of other countries to have the honour of hosting it. This is for the 11th, um, 11th time that they're holding it. Uh, great work by Liam Gunn and the Irish Potato Federation Organising Committee. Um, and so we are honoured to have to welcome people here to talk about sustainability and the potato. And for yourself and Meads, what, what, are you, what will you get from this? What will you give to this? Uh, well, we're sponsors and we're exhibiting, so you know we're here for that. But um, really, mainly, we're here just to learn from all of the experts. There's lots of papers being given and lots of industry talks um, uh, on research uh, around the potato. And we try to grow sustainably. We do try to be sustainable in the field and the packhouse everywhere. And we're just learning loads from experts on kind of you know uh, recent research, and it's going to help us uh, do even better at at being sustainable with our potato growing. So you're picking we're also here to to kind of to share our journey, you know, around yes. our potato starch, because that's a great development in terms of sustainability for the potato crop. We're using uh, making potato starch, which is a super alternative to cornstarch, and we're doing it from surplus spuds. So um, it's a, and it's the only, we're the only people, um, we're the only farm doing uh, the starch extraction in Ireland and the UK that is available to uh, manufacturers and to consumers. Very good. So you're, you're, you're learning and you're gaining learnings and as well as that you're imparting your knowledge too. Uh, Ukrainian uh, Association are there? Yeah, we are honoured to be right. Our, our stand is next to the Ukrainian Association of Potato Growers, who um, I was talking to um, uh, their rep here, Mikola Gordachuk, who didn't think he was going to get to come, but he got a special permit to leave the country. He's actually a neighbour of Thomas Carpenter, who is a big um, potato guy for years. I'm sure a lot of your listeners um, know him. And he is a grower. He was telling me his story about you know what he's been through uh, in the Ukraine, which is a huge potato-producing country. You know, they're very important in, in the world's potato markets. Um, but like his farm was occupied for a month by the Russians. Uh, they finally left and he, he was able to get his potato crops planted over a couple of days. But now, you know, they're facing huge problems with logistics. There's no, you know, there's no 
sales are a huge problem. There's no stores to sell potatoes in, and you know the east and and uh, south and you know north of the country. And uh, yeah, it was it's amazing. And I'm I just I think it's brilliant that he's here and he's you know flying the flag for for Ukrainian um, you know to to keep the the show on the road. Mm. And you're, Right now, they his biggest uh, project because he does a lot of seed potatoes as well as regular potatoes, and his biggest project right now is um, trying to get seed potatoes distributed to all the displaced Ukrainians. So there's so many Ukrainians who you know they don't have access to to stores or to you know to, to places to feed themselves. So by distributing seed to as many of these displaced Ukrainians as possible, he's able they're able to you know they will be able to feed themselves. Hopefully, you know. Um, yeah. The, the conflicts, the, the invasion will, you know, will be over sooner rather than later. But this mm. gives them, you know, a, a possible food source. And it, it really kind of ties into just how important potatoes are in terms of feeding the world, you know. Yes. Um, and, and, and may I ask you that, like, uh, you know, there was a time that the, the demise of the spud, let's say, was uh, being talked about extensively. Never will in, in my book and, and, and oh, thousands and millions of <laughs> others. Never, ever, ever, honestly. And, you know, this uh, war situation, has, hasn't it, Jenny, brought it home to all of us? Look at this country of ours. We can grow more spuds here. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I mean, potatoes are, they actually, they produce more food per unit of water than major grain crops. And they're up to seven times more efficient in using water than cereals. So that's why like so many developing countries and countries in general are, are turning to potatoes to feed their growing populations. I mean, it's got great environmental credentials and it uses water well. It uses land more effectively than other crops. So, uh, you know, we're finding now that, that potato production is actually at record levels um, uh, with the fastest growth uh, is in, in in Africa, actually, at the moment. Um, and as we kind of look as a world that, you know, by 2050, we're going to have to feed close to 10 billion people. Potatoes are a really key crop in doing that just because they're so efficient at what they do, you know. And that's why this Congress is so important because we're, you know, it's really been driven home with the Ukrainian conflict, the, the invasion that they're, you know, that we really need to um, secure our food, our food supplies, and we need to um, to get uh, to get as many people, um, you know, kind of safe and um, well fed in the world as possible over the next little while, and while meeting climate challenges. So. Here, here, well said, Jenny Mead. Are you uh, are are early's on the way yet, or are we just a little early for the first early potatoes? Or are yeah, you main crop? Yeah, they're coming though in the next in the next couple of weeks we should um, you know usually we we aim for around whenever bloom is about to uh, to kick off which mm. it is uh, then we like to have some of our home guard and premiere ready so um, yeah I think uh, I think we we should be getting some shortly that's good to hear because the new potatoes you can't beat them I, I'm I, I have to drop this in here and I know they'll say to me oh yeah old boaster yeah I have my own first early since uh, the start of May that I grew in pots in the greenhouse Jenny oh my god the Kerry gold butter I'm running out I'm running out Jenny Jerry I have to say you're going to have to come down here to the World Potato Congress because your passion for potatoes you know would be very well met here you thought you'd have no end of fun talking about all the new varieties and everything it's amazing how many uh, how much you can learn about potatoes here there's so many interesting facts going around well before that 
Uh, and I, I have to say, I'll have to pay a visit to Mead Farm and uh, understand a bit more what you great people do down there too, because you are fantastic champions of the spud, of course, and much, much more besides. So this goes on now for what, the next three days and feeds into the start of Bloom, as you mentioned there. Yes, it's rolling over into Bloom and there'll be a real big celebration of the potato at Bloom as well. So, um, yeah, it's brilliant. There's gonna And the delegates who are here, you know, will all get to experience Bloom. So it should be a great experience for them. We have 100 delegates ourselves coming out to Mead Farm on Thursday uh, who want to look and see our, our uh, look around at, at our growing operations. We've got some new varieties we're growing and they want to see our starch extraction plant. So, um, yeah, it's all systems go here. Definitely. Well, good luck to you for the next few days and with all the international visitors. You're fantastic. And thank you so much for joining us today to mark the uh, opening of the World Potato Congress here in Dublin. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks. Thanks, Jerry. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Jenny Mead there from Mead Farm near Lobenstown in County Mead. And it's only right that we host the World Con- Congress because we, we love our spots. I love my past. I love my rice. I'm not shooting it down in any way. But potatoes, new potatoes, mashed potatoes, roast potatoes. Ah, oh, stop the lights. Sautéed. There's just so much you can do with them. Louise Walsh is salivating there as I'm looking into Studio 2 there at the moment. Sorry, Louise. Anyway, uh, you can change your shirt and you go home. Tomorrow on Late Lunch, coming up on the show, The Science of Artful Eating. Karina Melvin joins us on Late Lunch. Very interesting lady. A kind deed. Giovanna Feely is going to tell us all about it. And you're two on Tuesday. We're lighting that one up for you too. And back to my soundtrack and more besides coming your way from 1.30 on Late Lunch here on LMFM Radio. Eddie Caffrey's on his way with The Drive next. Don't miss him. Wonderful music. Lots more besides coming up over the next while here on the show, the next couple of hours. We'll see you tomorrow, Tuesday, 1.30. It's a date. Bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Check out the new sporty and spacious Renault Arcana in petrol and full hybrid. Guaranteed delivery, low AP or finance and 48-hour test drive. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze... Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.